Hi everyone and welcome to this, the second episode of the two episodes podcast series on gestational diabetes. My name's Jan and I'll be your host today and I'll also have Anna-Jane Harding back again to take us through the second episode. Anna-Jane is one of the Senior Credential Diabetes Educators at the Royal Prince Alfred Hospital in Sydney has been nursing, lead and coordinating the diabetes and pregnancy service for the past 12 years. She has contributed to state and local policies and also been a co-author in a number of scientific papers in the field of diabetes and pregnancy. Hello again, Anna-Jane, and thank you for joining us for this second podcast. Thanks, Jan. I'm glad to be back talking with you about gestational diabetes. And just to, as a reminder, we finished off the last podcast on the management of GDM and monitoring. We see insulin used in GDM as the main form of treatment. And I'm wondering if there's any special way to use insulin safely in women with gestational diabetes, firstly. And are there different injection techniques or any extra precautions that our CDEs need to know about? I see it essentially the same as for anyone with diabetes commencing insulin. You need to discuss why they were why they are requiring it, the action of the insulin, timing, sites of injection, sharp safety, hypo signs and symptoms, plus hypo management. In addition, it is important to explain that insulin is a large molecule and won't pass through the placenta, so it won't have any direct impact on the baby. You can explain that insulin works by reducing glucose levels in the mother, so there won't be excessive glucose going from the mother to the baby. Where I work, we encourage the women to give a practice injection before we start any education, as often all they're thinking about is giving the insulin and won't listen to much that you say. You can see them visually relax after the practice injection. Then it is time to address the details of insulin injection technique. We give them written information details and reassure them that 99.9% of the time they will not require insulin after their baby is born. Just to reflect, uh, the, just to discuss insulins that are recommended for use in 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 Australia are rapid-acting insulins, Novorapid and Humalog, as these are preferred over short-acting insulins in pregnancy. Epidra is not advised because safety data is lacking. The isophane insulins, Protophane and Humulin NPH have been used extensively in pregnancy. Levomir is safe in pregnancy, but in Australia is only covered by PBS for type 1 diabetes. Glargine has been used extensively in pregnancy, however, its long duration of action may increase the likelihood of hypoglycemia mid to late morning. It can also be difficult to titrate if additional daytime basal insulin is required. Tajayo and Rhizodec 7030 have not been studied in pregnancy and we don't use them. Thank you for that. So what does the literature say in regard to using oral medications like metformin in GDM management? And are they completely contraindicated or can they be used during certain trimesters only? Metformin is not completely contraindicated. The, de the decision to start, continue or stop metformin during pregnancy should be made in consultation with the woman and their specialist given it is a Class C medication. Metformin does cross the placenta, so the question is whether this may be beneficial or harmful to the baby. It may be considered as a first-line medication when a, woman, when a woman refuses insulin, for example, has a needle phobia, or if the woman is on large amounts of insulin and has a large for gestational, large for gestational age baby. The Australian-New Zealand Metformin in Gestational Diabetes Trial, or MIG study with Janet Rowan as lead author, 
showed that when metformin is used, about half still required additional insulin, though at a lower dose, with reduced gestational weight gain. However, there was an increased risk of having a small for gestational age infant. It should not be used when a woman has a small for gestational age or IUGR baby. Metformin may not have much impact on elevated fasting glucose levels unless borderline. Immediate acting metformin, that is not extended release, should be used and uptitrated quickly if tolerated. If metformin has been used in pregnancy, treatment should be stopped before induction of or at the onset of spontaneous labour or when fasting for a caesarean delivery. The long-term effects on the child from metformin treatment during pregnancy remain unclear. Concern has been raised about possible increase in obesity in offspring by age seven to nine years. Interesting. Thank you. Most women with GVM and using insulin, it would be their first time using and injecting themselves. So I guess it can be an overwhelming thing to do with or without needle phobia, as you alluded to earlier. So what kind of follow-up interval would you set for your clients after the initial concert? For instance, just to review injection techniques, compliance, monitoring and so on. Ideally, we see the women one week after starting insulin to review their technique and answer any questions they may have. We always offer for them to phone or email us if they have any concerns. Fair enough. Thank you for that. So GDM management's multifaceted and obviously requires multiple disciplines to ensure optimal outcomes. And I think you mentioned that earlier. But how can CDEs build their network of other allied health professionals or other healthcare professionals in case a referral is required? And what do CDEs need to look out for as indications for referral to another healthcare professional? GDM management requires a collaborative approach. I would hope that a diabetes educator already has points of contact with local allied health services and other health professionals, such as a dietitian, endocrinologist or general physician, midwives, obstetricians, social workers or perinatal health workers or shared care GPs. We must never assume that a woman can navigate the health system. Even I find it hard and I work in it. We often need to advocate on their behalf. In that way, you build up your network too. Attending state and national diabetes conferences is also beneficial. It is always healthy and enjoyable to discuss and share knowledge between health professionals. Good point. Thank you for that. Um, expectation setting is important in the management of any form of diabetes. And I guess when it comes to GDM, what can a woman expect during pregnancy and after pregnancy? And how can CDEs deliver this information so as to not sound too alarming and yet not too casual? During the pregnancy, we really encourage women to pay more attention to their diet, to keep moving and check their glucose when diagnosed with GDM. On average, about 40% will also require the addition of medication, usually insulin, to help manage their glucose levels. We often advise the women to set a phone alarm to remind them to eat and check their glucose. We, we, we reassure them that for most women, the diabetes will resolve after her baby is delivered. After the pregnancy, it is important that we remind the woman to look after her health as she is at increased risk of developing GDM in a future pregnancy or developing type 2 diabetes. At the postpartum consultation, we can reinforce how important it is to maintain a healthy lifestyle and minimise weight gain. Obviously, this can be challenging, especially in the first few weeks with a newborn. We really encourage the women to find a good GP who ensures that regular diabetes screening is attended to every one to two years. 
and can support them to maintain their health living. Thank you for that. So from your experience, what tips can you give other CBEs around encouraging healthy lifestyle after pregnancy? And what are some of the biggest motivators for women with GDM to make the change? I talk a lot about postnatal follow-up towards the end of the pregnancy, often repeating messages to help get across the importance of looking after themselves and their family ongoing. I'd say one of the biggest motivators is the benefit a positive change in lifestyle has given many women through their pregnancy. Many women who have a family history of diabetes, of course, don't want to develop diabetes themselves and are certainly concerned for their children's health in the future too and want to know how they can reduce their risk. We encourage breastfeeding as it can reduce the risk of diabetes in the future. And of course, it helps with bonding, nutrition and immunity benefits for their baby. In regard to reducing the risk of developing diabetes in the future, when talking about weight, we ask them to aim to get back to their pre-pregnancy weight by six months. We also discuss that they do not need to achieve a BMI less than 25, but that a five to 7% weight reduction can help improve insulin sensitivity and therefore reduce their risk of diabetes. Keeping active is important too. Aiming in the longer term to do at least 150 minutes of exercise per week, broken into 30 minutes five times a week, for example. Lastly, we ask the women to have a postnatal OGTT in three to six months, as it may be too early at six weeks, especially with needing to leave a newborn for a few hours, and follow up with their GP ongoing. If the OGTT is normal, then having a fasting glucose and HbA1c every one to two years is all that is required for ongoing screening. If they are planning another pregnancy, they should ideally be screened for diabetes prior to pregnancy and starting folic acid a few months before beginning to try for pregnancy. I also advise following the principles of the GDM diet and keeping active from the beginning. This can help reduce the risk of developing GDM in the pregnancy. About 50% of women who, who had GDM will go on to develop type 2 diabetes within 10 to 15 years. In addition, they remain at high risk of cardiovascular disease, even if the glucose tolerance remains normal. So all vascular risk factors need periodic assessment and management optimised. The development of type 2 can be delayed by lifestyle factors. Thank you very much for that. And so the other question I wanted to ask you is, would you recommend a dietitian review after pregnancy as part of a long-term plan to reduce the increased risk of type 2 in women who've had GDM? There are competing de demands in early motherhood. I advise that they follow the principles of the GDM diet but increasing total energy intake to meet the higher energy requirements for breastfeeding in the first few months. As mentioned before, I encourage them to try to get back to their pre-pregnancy weight by six months postnatally. Of course, any woman who has had a postnatal OGTT in the pre-diabetes or diabetes range should be offered dietetic review. Further down the track, say six to 12 months after delivery, many women will benefit from additional dietary review and support. Okay, so what resources or learning modules would you recommend to our listeners to help them improve their understanding of GDM? and improve health delivery services to women with GDM. ADIPS has very good guidelines and resources for diabetes educators. There are also diabetes and pregnancy modules specifically written for health professionals. I would really encourage educators to attend the ADIPS conferences. Our next one is in Adelaide. We also have wonderful resources from NDSS to share with women. So that's where I would recommend we all go for evidence-based information. 
The ADEA Diabetes and Pregnancy Special Interest Group also welcomes resources made by diabetes educators working in the areas and we would love you to send them to us so that we can have the best resources for our pregnant women. Thank you, Anna Jane. Thank you once again. It really has been great to talk to you over these last two episodes and I'm sure our listeners appreciate learning from all your experience. Thank you to those who have taken the time to listen to this podcast. To obtain CPD credit, please go to the ADEA Learning Management System at learning.adea.com.au and complete a feedback evaluation. And until next time, it's goodbye. Thank you.